Thank you, sister. Well, good morning, King's Cross. It is an honor to be here with you. Have long heard rumor about this church and the good work that God is doing here, and I just count it an honor to be here with you. So, Clint, thank you for having me. Elders of the church, thank you. Congregation, uh, it's a joy to be here with you this morning. Um, I've made it a habit since the first time I started preaching that I would, I would pray every time. So I know we just prayed. Thank you, sister. I'm going to ask God's help one more time as we go to the book of Revelation, chapter 15. Father, we thank you. So far, we have been able to sing of Jesus. and We've heard scriptures about Jesus, and now may this sermon point us to Jesus. Oh, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to understand, hearts to believe. Would you give us affections that are warmed and wills that are surrendered and bodies that are ready to obey you. Fill us with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. As your word goes out, would you remove anything that would be distracting? Would you keep the evil one at bay? And would you help us to receive and believe what you say? May it be true for me and for all of us who hear your word now. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever felt like help and hope are just out of reach? You turn on the news and it's crazy. As you said, wars and rumors of wars. There's, a, there's, a, there's oppression. There's, there's, there's corruption everywhere you, everywhere you look. Then you turn off the news and then, then you look in your community there's murder and corruption and betrayal and there's lies and slander and gossip. And then, then you turn, you just come and now you're with yourself and you look in, inside and you're like, oh man, I'm still with me. <laughs> all my abiding sin and all my, all my struggles and all my frailty. And we can, it can be really easy for God's people as we journey home to lose hope and to wonder, is there any is there any help to, to cry out as the psalmist does and as, as the saints do in the book of Revelation? How long, O Lord? Well, the book of Revelation is intended to serve our souls. It's intended to, to, to set before the people of God in their hearts and to say that all of the turmoil that we know in these days, well, one day, soon and very soon, it will end. And that that last day isn't intended to inform this day. It's intended to lift our hearts and our minds and our, our hope to the fact that one day the Lord Jesus will return and he's going to make all things right. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 15. The book of Revelation chapter 15. The book of Revelation is the consummation, it's the revealing of God's plan to fix the world. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible's telling one big story of redemption, that God is fixing the world that's ravished with sin, and he's doing it through his son, Jesus. He sent the son as the God-man to come and to live the perfect life none of us could live, to die the death we deserve, to rise from the dead. He has now ascended. He is building his church by his spirit, and soon he will return and take all of his people to a new heaven and a new earth. And the book of Revelation shows how God is completing that final work, keeping all of his promises that he made in the Old Testament about Jesus and through Jesus. If you're not familiar with the book of Revelation, sometimes it can be a bit confusing. It's become one of my favorite books. I think it's intended to help us to persevere. 
The book begins in the first three chapters where Jesus appears to John and gives a message to seven churches, churches like this one, and gives them words that they are to receive to help them to repent of abiding sin and to trust him. He gives them promises to hold on to, which are all fulfilled in chapter 21 and 22, by the way, to hold on to those promises until we see his face because persecution is coming. And then he shows in seven, I think, cycles presenting the same picture from the the resurrection of Christ to the return of Christ, the gospel age, and how God is working in this age in which we live to bring about his promises. Seven cycles of the same scene from different vantage points to kind of fill in and give us a full picture that God is at work even in these crazy days through his son. And that soon Jesus will, will come. We see that in, through seven seals and then seven trumpets and then this cosmic battle between Satan and Jesus. And in chapters 15 and 16, we see seven bowls. And we're going to look at the, the beginning of that, that cycle, that picture. And we're going to ask the question, what will God do to those who do not repent of their evil? Well, he will pour out his wrath. And what will God do for those who who repent and who cling to Jesus, who believe these words and have held fast through the midst of it all? He will pour out his mercy, just like he did in the days of Noah, just like he did in the days of the Exodus. God will be faithful to his people, and he will judge his enemies. Hear it again, Revelation chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea with, gla- with the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. If we're going to summarize what this text is intended To say to us this morning, it might go something like this. God's people should sing and live in light of the last day. God's people should sing and live in light of the last day because help and hope are coming. They're being provided right now and they are coming. So in light of that last day, we can sing like it's true, just like we've been doing this morning. And we can live like it's true, just like we'll do as we walk out these these doors. Let's look through this text now. Verse 1, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels, seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Just as through the book of Revelation, we have a heavenly vision here. And in this vision, there are warrior angels standing alongside the, the redeemed. They are singing praises together as the moment of victory draws near. We see that this is another sign. This is the the third sign. There's two others in in chapter 12. This 
This sign John describes as great. The word means surprising and strange. Just like everything else in Revelation. That's weird. It's a great sign, and it's an amazing sign. It means astonishing and full of wonder. What is this startling sign? Well, it's seven angels armed with seven plagues. Verse 7 tells us these, these plagues are the seven bowls full of the wrath of God. These plagues are God's wrath that is about to be poured out upon the unbelieving world serves as the final wave of, of judgments, for with them the wrath of God is, is finished. Now, one of the things when we taught through the book of Revelation at our church that we, we learned to do is that if you want to interpret the book of Revelation and you see something weird, you don't look to the news to try and figure out what it is. You just don't, because then it's, you're going to get some weird stuff. There's a question you always need to ask whenever you're in the book of Revelation and you see, something, you see something strange and you don't know what it is. You ask the question, where is that in the Old Testament? The book of Revelation alludes to the Old Testament some 500 times. And the reason is because the book of Revelation is the revealing of how all of God's promises and pictures and prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament come true in him now. He fulfills it all. So when we see plagues, we need to ask what question? They're, they're quick learners. I like this. All right, yes. Where is that in the Old Testament? And that's, you're going you're gonna to say, well, I, I think I remember something about that in the days of Egypt and the Exodus, where God sent 10 plagues, 10 waves of judgment upon Egypt as he delivered his people. And the final one, he told them to hide under the blood of the Lamb. And all those who would hide by faith under the blood of a spotless lamb would be protected as judgment passed over, and then God would miraculously take them through the Red Sea into the promised land. It's a foreshadowing of what God ultimately does through his son, his son Jesus. So the Exodus, by the way, is all the way through the book of Revelation. So like if, there's a, if there's a playlist going while John is writing this, it's the Exodus song. It's always in the mind because Revelation is the greater exodus. We're going to the new heaven and new earth. 15.2, John also saw a sea of glass mingled with fire. Where is that in the Old Testament? Daniel 7, where you saw streams of fire coming out from before the throne of God. A mesmerizing ocean. Calm, yet there's judgment. Well, who is there? Those who conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name. These who are there are all the believers who have died in Christ, who are awaiting the completion of their salvation. They're in heaven, and they're still crying out, according to an earlier chapter in Revelation, How long, O Lord? Because Christ has not returned yet and finished all things. So here in this scene are all believers for all, from all time. From as Adam and Eve are there to, to, to the last believer who just now lost their, who just died and went into glory, they are there. And then every believer who is yet to, to die and who will go and be with Christ, they're all there. So if you've ever wondered, am I in the Bible anywhere? You are right here. This, you, this, you're in this scene right here. It's a picture of those who, are, who have died and who have trusted with Christ. They are with him awaiting the judgment. Ephesians 1 says, we are seated in the heavenlies. There you are. 
Those who have conquered. That's how Christians are, are described. Believers in Jesus have, have conquered. Because Jesus has conquered. He came. He conquered sin, Satan, and death. And if you are in Christ, you are united to him. So his death becomes our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. His conquering victory becomes our conquering victory. This is the hope of God's people, all those who have persevered in faith through the persecution and the trial and the pain and the suffering and all the times it looked crazy to trust Jesus and you held on to him because he held you fast. This is our boast. We conquer with the conquering king. Now notice here who it is that we conquered. The beast. This is the antichrist figure who leads the world in rebellion against God. Now, a lot of Christians for a lot of times have been making out who the beast is. And some of y'all think you know who the beast is. And maybe this antichrist figure, don't, don't be yelling no names up in here. Stop that. <laughs> But this Antichrist figure, the, the, actually John tells us, this same John tells us that there's actually many Antichrists. So yes, there is one to come, but in every age there are Antichrists who are to be resisted, including the final one. These Christians have resisted him and his image, some sort of idol that people bowed down before, reminiscent of, of Nebuchadnezzar's day. And, and, or Daniel's day with, with yeah, Daniel Nebuchadnezzar with the, with the idol there. And the number of its name. The number of its name is also known as the mark of the beast. The, the mark of the beast is contrasted in the book of Revelation with the sealing of God's servants in chapter 7. Where God's people receive the seal, which is the spirit of God. He seals his people, sets apart, just like in the days of Jeremiah, and says, judgment does not touch these because they are sealed, they are mine, they are kept. God's people are marked by the seal of the Spirit who shows their allegiance to Jesus through the fruit of the Spirit. So then what is this, this, this mark of the beast? Well, God's people are sealed on their face and their foreheads uh, with, with, with the seal of, of the Spirit, and the people of the world, well, they have a, they have a mark too. Now, the, the, the mark of the beast and the, the, the number of the beast is not primarily about devious use of, of iPhones and microchips and vaccines and like people, again, Chris and Star getting weird about like all the stuff about what the, the mark of the beast is. The mark of the beast throughout the book of Revelation is the public allegiance to the way of the world. Everything you say, everything you do, everything you support displays who you live for. So if I'm Satan, you know what I do? I get Christians so busy worried about whether it's an iPhone or a vaccine or this or that, that they feel comfortable with slander and gossip and all of the other marks of the beast. Satan is the liar, the slanderer, the accuser. The beast wants, to, wants to, to make people comfortable and show, I'm with him. Worldliness is the mark of the beast. The mark of Christ is the fruit of the Spirit. It's love and joy and peace. Well, notice those who conquer, verse 2, what's their posture? What are they doing? They're standing. 
They stand because Christ has made them able to stand by his grace. They don't, they don't come walking in all shameful because of all of their sins, because we just sang about why not, because oh precious is the flow that takes away all of our sins. We stand boldly because we conquer with the one who, who stands. Revelation 12, 11 says, they have conquered by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Now this, this heavenly group that we see here certainly includes martyrs, but it's not only martyrs. It's going to be all believers who have died in Christ. This is how the church is presented throughout the book of Revelation. They are the people of God who have been raised to life with Jesus. They have endured suffering and persecution and death because of their devotion to Christ. Now, what are they doing as they stand there? As they stand beside the sea, they sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. They've been assembled here as a heavenly choir. They're, they're all arranged and entrusted with the harps of God that are in their hands. Now, it's interesting. We see these same harps of God in chapter 5 and chapter 14. And you want to wonder, are they, are they symbolic? Are they actual? Uncertain? We'll know when we get there. But what is certain is this picture of divinely assisted accompaniment that fills the amphitheater of heaven. The, these saints are caught up into this joyful response of singing to God. And God says, strike up the band. Give them some harps. And the people are, they are singing here together because saved people sing. Y'all have heard that before around here. So we don't know a lot about heaven, but one of the things we learn here is that heaven is a place of music. It's a place of music. It's a place of, of singing, a place where amazing orchestras and colossal choirs are going to be gathered together to sing the praises of the Lamb forevermore. Saved people sing now, and saved people will sing forevermore. The Apostle John sees this here in chapter 15. All throughout the book of Revelation, he recounts this, of, of choirs of people and angels together swaying and singing about the glory of the Lamb. So whatever else is true of heaven, it is most certainly a musical place. But the redeemed, by the way, are not the only ones who sing in glory. Do you know that God will sing there? Listen to this. This is Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. On that day, the day we're looking at right here, when that is, that's about to come, when we're with God. On that day, it shall be said, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. That's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. That's amazing. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know about you. I'm always, I have this deep sense that God is always just disappointed with me. I know the gospel. I believe the gospel. I'm thankful for the gospel. But there's just always a sense in which I just feel like when I see him, the first thing he's going to be like, man, you barely made it here. <laughs> like, bro, for real. Just expecting a shaming and a scolding but that's not the God of the Bible. He's a God 
who doesn't give us what we deserve. Christ was scolded and shamed. He took, he who knew no sin became sin and took the judgment that we deserve from sin. So that's not what happens when we stand before him. He will quiet you with his love. Just like the prodigal son who came home with all the reasons the father, I'm going to work my way back. The father says, hush, you come home. You're mine. He's going to quiet you by his love, and then he will sing over you. We're going to sing to him. He's going to sing to us. Let's go. You know what I'm saying? Like, praise the Lord. Why are they singing? Well, they've begun to enjoy the deliverance and the salvation that has come. The sea, the sea of glass is mingled with fire here. Now you're like, what, is, what, is, what does that mean? To the, to the Jewish mind, when you hear sea, you think turmoil. You think scary. It's where the waves are. Jews were not a seafaring people. You think waves. You think that's where the Leviathan lives. That's where, that's where the, the monsters are. It's, it's a place that's scary. It's, it's outside the sanctuary. Here, though, the sea of, it's a sea of glass. This, this, it's, the sea is hushed. The turmoil's over, and it's on fire because judgment is purifying it. God is fixing the world. And these believers are all gathered here, and they're not they have not received what is fully coming yet. You remember the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 11 speaks about all those who have gone before us in, the, in the, the hall of faith. It said they have not yet received the promise yet because they're waiting for what? For us. So this scene here is like whatever a holy tailgate looks like, that's what this is. That's what's happening right now in glory. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. When you die, if you're a Christian, your body goes into the ground. Your spirit, absent from the body, is present with the Lord. We are with the Lord. Here's that scene. These are all those believers who have died. This, this, there before the Lord. Not in the new heavens and new earth yet. That's to come. They are outside of that, but they are with the Lord where he is partying with them. In, in all of the holiest of ways. Where they are singing and they are celebrating and they are enjoying his glory awaiting the return when he will come back and they will all come with him. The book of Revelation, the second coming, you are the second coming. Will you return with Jesus and with his armies? He comes back, everybody comes back. We receive our bodies back, they are glorified. King Jesus crushes the Satan fully and finally forevermore and then we go into a new heaven and new earth. This is that awaiting. He's about to come. The believers in heaven are rejoicing and waiting. This is that, that picture that we have there. And see what God's people are doing? They are singing. They're singing. Justice is about to come. It's been a long time coming. There's been a lot of evil. There's been a lot of oppression. There's been way too many terrorists. There's been a whole lot of evil. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, I think appropriately we feel yes. At the same time, if we think about what else we're singing about here, there's some sobriety that's required, I think, for us. In one sense, it's, it's difficult to, to imagine singing about this judgment that's about to happen. We are singing, the redeemed are singing here about the judgment that will include the loss of 
friends, family members, loved ones for all of eternity. In one sense, that, that, that feels very wrong. It feels almost morbid. It, it feels strange. And I just want you to know that it is appropriate to rinse, wrestle with that tension. The longing for justice. We all want justice. Believe it, if you're here this morning as, as somebody who doesn't know the Lord yet, we want to welcome you. So there's no such thing as luck or chance. This is the right place for you to be this morning, to hear a word like this, that you might prepare for this day that's coming by turning to Jesus. Turn to him. But I'd say one of the reasons that even you likely feel the longing for justice is because you're made in the image of a good God. God will bring justice. But at the same time, we crave mercy. I just want to say there is a reality that is beyond us. We see in a mirror dimly. When we see as God sees and knows as God knows, all things will not only make sense to us, but we will respond in a way that is appropriate. So it is right and good to grieve over the destiny of sinners. God grieves as well. But know that however great our grief is over a lost person, God's grief is greater. For he loved them even more than we do. He loved them as the one whose capacity for love is infinitely greater than our capacity. He loved them as the one who, who is perfect love without sin. He loved them as the one who personally created them, knit them together in their mother's womb. He loved them as the one who has, who has placed his own image upon them. He, he, he loved them as the one who tenderly sustained every one of their heartbeats for their entire life, even as they rejected him. He loved them as the one who knew them even better than we did. But God does not only love sinful rebels. God also loves what is good. He loves justice. He loves righteousness. He loves the victims of child abuse and rape and torture and murder and those who have been lied to and those who have been lied about. So the question isn't, how could a God of love punish some of his creatures? I think if we're honest, the question really is, how could he not? God, God doesn't judge despite his love. He judges because of his love. In all of his loves, goodness, justice, righteousness, mercy flow from his character. And one day when we see him for who he is, we'll do nothing but say, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. And the saints here, they sing because they know the universe is about to be fixed. Everything that sin stole is about to be restored. Here it comes. <laughs> now, what are they singing? Verse 3. They sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Now, whenever you see something like that, you're supposed to ask what question? Yes. Where is that in the Old Testament? They're ready for you to preach Revelation now, buddy. Here you go. Good luck. Um, <laughs> Where is that in the Old Testament? Well, it's, it's, it's Exodus chapter 14 and 15, 
where God's people were miraculously brought through because of the blood of the lamb and then God saving them through certain death through the Red Sea. And then they come through and on the other side, first thing they do when they hit dry land is they start, they start singing. You know what I'm saying? They start singing. And they sing the song of Moses. They sing the song of this one whom God used to deliver them from the oppressor Pharaoh and bring them to the promised land. Well, the New Testament remix is the song of the Lamb. They remixed that thing. They just brought it back. Run that thing back but put Jesus on it because Moses was looking forward to Jesus. Because we've got the blood of the Lamb that we trusted in brought us through certain death and now we're going to a new heaven and a new earth. So that's why we're singing. We're singing the song of Moses, which is the song of the Lamb. Jesus fulfills all of the shadows of the Old Testament. It was his blood that was shed and placed on the doorposts of God's people who hide by faith all the way, especially when the world's mocking them. Oh, Lord, help me trust you. And then he brings them home. Yes. And listen to the lyrics of this song, verse 3. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. <laughs> Do you notice that the, the content of our song is all about who God is and what God does? It's about his character and about his works. It's one of the things I've loved about the songs. I heard you wrote that, that second one we did. Did you write that? Oh, man, I see that. All right. So, like, praise God for those kind of gifts. You know what I'm saying? Like, we sing songs about him. Why? Because we love him. It's like a guy who falls in love with a girl. You know, if he's got, if he got some skills, he's going to try and write a little song to her, expressing his love. I can't do that. I'll find some, some other way. Uh, but but this, is, this is what we do. We sing about him because we love him. We know he's been nothing but good and faithful. We sing about who God is. God is the almighty. It means he's omnipotent. It means he's all powerful. He has all power. He rules with, with unchallenged authority. There's none like him. We say he's the almighty. He alone is holy, we sing. He's set apart from all others. All other supposed gods are seen as frauds. There's no evil in him. Which, by the way, that's what the Exodus was about. Do you know that with each of the plagues, do you know what God was doing? He was taking the gods that Egypt worshipped, and he, he was publicly assassinating them. Oh, you think the Nile gives life? I'm going to make it bleed. Oh, you like frogs? You think that's a fertility god? I'm going to give you frogs, and then they're going to stink. And he just he goes through with each of them, showing all your gods are stupid. I mean, it, it, it is. They're, they're stupid. They're mute. They can't speak. They can't got hands. They can't do nothing. I'm the one true God. We sing about that. He alone is holy. Nobody like him. He, he does hear because he has ears. He does move because he has hands. He is a faithful God. And we sing about it forever. There's no lies in him. There's no deceit in him. He is pure and good and righteous and glorious. And we're going to sing about it forever. He's not only almighty and holy, he is the king of the nations. His establishment is undisputed. There are no recounts associated with this, this, this king. His reign, there's no questions. He is the sovereign ruler before whom people of every tribe, tongue, and nation will bow. He is not some kind of tribal deity. He's not some, you know, just American God. No, he is the God of the nations, of every nation. 
All the nations sing his praise. His throne is never threatened. His rule is never rivaled. He is holy. He is almighty. We'll sing about who he is. And we'll sing about what he does. Verse 3, great and amazing are your deeds. Just and true are your ways. Your acts are righteous. Verse 4. Those words, by the way, if you just hear those, you just read through the Psalms and the prophets, they're everywhere. The Psalms and the prophets always talking about God being great and amazing and just and true and righteous. Well, here it is seen in God is bringing deliverance for his people and destruction on his enemies. And they are singing here about mercy and about justice and how about only he knows how to mingle them. By the way, this is why God says, vengeance is mine. Get your hands off of it. You don't know how to bring vengeance. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. You show love to your enemies. You, you baffle them with love. You let me, you let me take care of it. They sing about God's mercy and his justice. And God's mercy and justice always mingled. It's amazing. I mean, think about it. God sent Adam and Eve out from the garden, but God, you gave them a promise about a lamb who's going to come. You, you sent a flood of water on the evil world, but you gave Noah a way of escape. You brought judgments on the Canaanites for idolatry, but you rescued Rahab who sought you by faith. You exiled Israel because of their idolatry, but you kept the faithful. You kept Daniel from lions and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from fire. God, you kept them. And supremely, you sent Jesus who, took the, who went to the cross and took the judgment that we deserved and then rose to give us mercy. That's why we sing about justice and mercy, because our God is full of both. This context here, God summoned his angels with bowls of wrath to pour out on the wicked earth, yet you have redeemed wicked people out from it, that now they, the redeemed, sing. Nobody struts into this choir practice. Anybody who comes in here is like, I don't deserve to be here. I deserve to be on the other end of this. But him, him, and then you sing. This is why thankfulness and gratefulness, it is the heartbeat of the Christian. Where we can be nothing but thankful. And we will sing about what God deserves, verse 4. For who will not fear and glorify your name? All nations will come and worship you. The redeemed rightly proclaim that God deserves to be feared. He deserves to be revered. Right? He, 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 he needs to be seen rightly and related to rightly, just like the ocean. I, I love the ocean. We take our kids to the ocean. I'll be like, look, it's amazing. It's filled with all kinds of crazy critters. Some of them will bite you, but it's like, it's, it's beautiful. It's deep. You can enjoy it, but you got to be careful because it's bigger than you. It's stronger than you. That sort of posture, that is how we, we think of our God. He is, he is to be feared. Come near, yet know who he is. He will be glorified. He's going to be honored. He's going to be sought and worshiped. He will be enjoyed. Christ deserves our worship. Listen to this. This is the same themes from an earlier song in Revelation 5, 9. says, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. They sing and reign on the earth. History is a story of God's glory being revealed through his saving acts. Foreshadowed in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament, sang about forever by God's people. God's people have long sung about it. We sing about it today. Think about that. All over the world right now, God's people are gathering on the Lord's day to sing to the Lord. And we will sing about it forevermore. Because saved people sing. Now, in light of this text, I want to give us three brief takeaways about how that's supposed to affect us. Number one, see today in light of the last day. See today in light of the last day. Our souls are helped by getting an eternal perspective. It's like it's our, our hearts reach into eternity and grab some of the hope of the certainty that God's going to make all things right. And you, you bring that, you bring a fistful back into right now and you tuck it in your heart. And you live this day in light of, of, of that day. This scene draws our attention to the, the after party of eternity into the throne room of the Almighty and is intended to impact every single thing that happens now. Remember, this is given to seven churches to help them fight sin and to persevere in faith. Do you ever wish that you could, you could go back to a time in your life knowing what you know now and like re-engage in a situation? You know what I'm saying? Like one of those combos, you're like, man, I wish I knew what I knew now. You can go back and have that conversation or maybe invest in something or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Now, don't get too distracted. Come back to this. Now, but the book of Revelation is intended to aid your soul by showing you the end so that you can bring it back to now and live now in light of what you know then. It changes everything. Think about it. That the certainty of the promised day affects how we live in our present day. Every temptation now takes on a new, it ain't worth it. Every trial, that's hard, but he's faithful. Every bit of persecution be like, he's going to get you. I don't even need to worry about it. I'm going to love you, and God will, God, will get, God will take care of it. Because we see that God's going to make it all right. Everything we do this day must be done in view of that day. As a bride awaiting her bridegroom. I mean, if, do people get married in this room? All right, right out there, right? You got the bride out there, bridegroom in here. Now, she out there, and some, some good-looking guy walk by, she ain't be like, hey, like, that's not what happens. <laughs> no, she better not, right? But, you know, <laughs> why? Because her heart is set here. We are called the bride of Christ. Paul says, I set you aside as a, as I betrothed you as a bride, making you ready for your day. Then you see him. Our day, we're to help each other remain holy. Every business dealing, Every email, every text, some of y'all need to delete some stuff. Everything, every relationship, every sexual temptation, every greedy temptation, every temptation, you see it in light of that day. A couple days ago, I spoke with a, a dear friend from Texas who, an older, older brother, um, been diagnosed, he's been put on hospice, he has a, a brain tumor, and uh, I thought it might be the last time I get to talk to him. He's, I'm not sure. We don't talk all the time, but I, I gave him a call. and I said, Fred, I said, brother, if I could just give you one exhortation, it'd be if there's anything left undone, if there's any beef you got with anybody, any conversation you wish you'd have had, 
Anybody you didn't share the gospel with that you wish you know you should have, now's the time. Go and do it. He has the mercy of knowing that his time is short. None of us know when our day is. This word is intended to say, though, it's coming. All of us will one day stand before him, so live this day in light of that day. Number two, sing on earth as you will sing in heaven. Sing on earth as you will sing in heaven. So see today in light of the last day. Sing on earth as you will in heaven. Our songs on earth ought to be marked by the content of the songs in glory. God-centered, gospel-infused, singing to God, which, praise the Lord, this church seems to be known for that. Keep it up. Because you know what? One of the ways it serves your soul is it reminds you of truth. How many of you didn't want to come to church this morning? Don't lie. A bunch of, we're not, no, I'm going to do another sermon on lying. Like next time I come back, I feel you. Listen, I'll be honest with you. I think God let me be a pastor because I'd have to go to church. Like there's, I ain't lying. There's times that I don't want to go, that I have to go because I'm preaching. Never once, never once on the other side have I said, you know what? I wish I hadn't gone. Because there's something that happens when God's people come together and we sing songs and we weren't feeling it. We tell our feelings, shut up, we're going to sing. We walk by faith and not by sight. We lift our hearts to him. It reorients us. You know, the Bible says that we don't just sing to God, we also sing to one another. Ephesians 5.19, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Do you know that this morning? Y'all singing to one another. This will help you, by the way. One of the things I love about this church, multicultural, y'all gonna come from different backgrounds. Some of y'all gonna sing some songs that you like. Some of y'all gonna sing some songs you're like, I ain't gonna like that song. Well, the good news is this is not about you. And, and, and one of the best ways I've found to sing songs that I don't really enjoy, that are true, is to remember that it might be somebody else's favorite song. And you don't know what saint you're propping up by singing that song. So sing it loud so they hear that truth in their ear. Because they hear it from themselves, but there's something about somebody else singing that song. And you'd be like, yes, it's true. Yes, it's true. This is one of the ways that we encourage one another day by day, as long as it's called today, is you sing to him and to one another. That's one of the things, me and my buddy named Jeremy McLean, he's a pastor in D.C. We used to be in the same church together. And uh, he'd be on the other side. And we'd start singing and like, not everybody had the same kind of soul, you know what I'm saying? But like we would, we'd sing, I look over at Jay and we'd, be like, we'd lock eyes, we'd be even doing this thing, you know, and like we're singing to each other, we're helping each other. Do that for one another because you never know what saint you're going to help to take that next step by singing the songs about God's glory. So we see today in light of the last day, we sing on earth as we will in heaven. And then finally, Stand with confidence in Christ's conquering. Stand with confidence in Christ's conquering. Christians conquer in Christ. And that looks different than the world's sort of conquering. Envision yourself in this passage. Allow the eternal perspective to encourage you in the midst of perseverance, through suffering, through trials, through temptations. And hold on to promises that that help you to believe it. 
Listen to this from Romans 8.18. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Whatever you're enduring this morning, this is not to make light of it. Some of y'all are going through it. Some of y'all got burdens. You don't even know how you made it in here this morning. It's so disorienting. I want you to know that God wants you to know that if you are in Christ soon and very soon, every tear going to be wiped away. Every grave going to be emptied. Every tombstone is going to be laid flat. No more undertakers there. No more cancer there. No more betrayal there. No more confession of sin there. No more abiding sin there. Help and hope are on the way, and his name is Jesus, and he is coming. So saints, let us sing and live today in light of that day. We're almost home. Let's pray.